There we go. I'd just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream. Uh, this is just one part of our service here with City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. You can join us for the whole thing by uh, just dropping us an email at info at city-temple.com or you can come down in person to Chelsea Community Church. Uh, I'm really excited today because of our, our guest speaker that we have with us. It was back in the 1970s when as a young Christian, uh, I was invited to go to a, a strange gathering of unusual people on a Friday night in St. Louis, Missouri. And they, I, I heard there were something called Jews. And I went and they were having the gathering at the synagogue, but they were talking about the Messiah and they were worshiping Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. And that was my first encounter with Jews for Jesus. Uh, and then the ministry came along and it's been something that uh, Karen and I have been familiar with and have supported for, I don't know how many years is that, four decades now? That's about four decades. Five. Wow, so I was about two years old mm. when I started. Uh, and uh, and I, let me tell you, Jews for Jesus is, in my opinion, the gold standard for ministries to the Jewish people because they're unashamed about sharing the good news of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, with our Jewish cousins, I don't know, yeah. And, uh, and let me tell you, you know, Jews, they get to heaven through Jesus, just like everybody else does. And so they need to hear the message and Jews for Jesus is the ministry that is consistent and faithful uh, sharing this gospel. And so I highly recommend them. Uh, we have uh, sheets where you can sign up uh, at the end of the service today. Uh, you can give a special free will offering, just uh, slip some cash to Ziggy or <laughs> to Avi, however you'd like to do that. Uh, and of course the church will give an honorarium as well. But even more, I'm really excited to introduce to you again, my dear friend, Avi Snyder. Uh, I, I told you before, I think, uh, I never really knew what the, the Apostle Paul looked like until I met Avi. And I had no idea that the Apostle Paul had a New York accent, but he does. I think he does. Uh, and, uh, and so Avi, I've known him for 20 years now, and he is a faithful man of God who loves Jesus and who is so faithful in sharing the good news of Jesus to anyone who will listen. He's got two books uh, that are available today, and we're like the first group to get the second book, the brand new book. Uh, the box just came this weekend. Uh, and the first one is called Jews Don't Need Jesus and Other Myths. <laughs> uh, and the, the second one is called Never Ashamed, uh, which is the best book that I've read on evangelism. There's been no book that I've read in all of my years of ministry that's encouraged me to share my faith like that book. And so I encourage you to get a copy of it. And without further ado, I'm gonna pray for Avi and turn it over to him. So Father God, thank you so much for the privilege of gathering here in this place today. Uh, and thank you so much for uh, having Avi and Ziggy with us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon Avi and Ziggy, uh, that you would bless everything that they say, that it would penetrate our hearts uh, and that everything would be done to your glory and praise. For we pray it all in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You can have to Okay. No, 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 no. Don't, don't applaud. I might be a terrible person. In fact, I could give you a list of people who would tell you that I'm a terrible person. It's a joy to be here. I'm, uh, I'm so delighted to see Pastor Rod, to see Karen again. And a number of you I remember. How many of you were here when I was here the last time, some years ago? Any of you? I did. It's green. Yeah. Is it? Is it working? Well, I can speak louder. I've been accused of many things in my life. I've never been accused of having a little voice <laughs> or a little mouth. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, it's really wonderful to be back with you. How many? Um, 
I didn't see the hands. How many were here before when I was here? Okay, good. Am I any taller? No? Just older. <laughs> Just as well. Um, it's a joy to be with you. It's a privilege to be with you. I, I hope that the things that I, I share today will be uh, a blessing and an encouragement and a challenge for those of you who already know the Lord and are serious about walking with him. If there are any here today or listening who uh, have not yet come to that point of repenting of your sins and placing your faith exclusively in the atoning work of, of Yeshua, of Jesus, um, I unashamedly say that I hope this will be a real challenge that you won't be able to walk away from too easily. In fact, I hope it will be a challenge that you won't be able to walk away from at all. Uh, I hope you'll be serious about, about taking what I have to say seriously and weighing. Um, I was talking with Pastor Rod earlier uh, about the fact that if, if the gospel isn't true, you don't have anything to worry about. But if it is true, then you have to deal with it. Anyway, uh, before I launch into what I want to share with you today, I'd like to introduce my good friend and colleague. Ziggy and I go back about 20 years as well, I think. No, less, more? You were only a, a child when we met, yes? <laughs> yeah, right, and other myths. Um, Ziggy um, is uh, part of the bulwark of the uh, Juice for Jesus work in, in the UK, in London, and I'd like him to come up and give, give a quick update on the things that are going on here, things that you want to know about, things that you can be praying about. Z Ziggy, why don't you come up? I guess you'll have to use that microphone. I do. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Um, I bought five books because I bought lots of books today. Um, the, uh, the, the first book you already know about is that the Jews don't need Jesus and other misconceptions. So you just form a, a small queue by the book table at the end. Uh, but you won't really, really be buying that one. You'll really be buying up this new book, which is really, I've not, not read it, but I, I'm guessing it is imaginable. I mean, Rod, I mean, you really love this book. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean the way you sold it, I think everybody should be buying this today. Uh, I, I, don't, do. I don't think there can be any, any doubt in anyone's mind. Okay. I've bought about 40 of them, so I should sell them all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will get to, to talk about what Avi said I should do, but if you've never seen this book before, it's called Betrayed. How many of you have Jewish friends here? How many of you have friends? <laughs> well, this is a wonderful book that you might think about uh, buying and praying about reading and, and giving, to, preferably giving to a Jewish friend. It's about a very successful American Jewish man who came to believe in Jesus, came to believe in Yeshua. And uh, his daughter came home from university and, and, sh and um, she explained to the family she believed in Jesus. And the family was very upset and above <clears> all, they felt betrayed. It's a very, very impactful book. I could mention the others, but I won't. But let me just simply say, uh, uh, Jews don't believe in Jesus. I don't even know how you think about that. Just listen to that for a moment. Jews don't believe in Jesus. Is that true? Is it true? Can Jews believe in Jesus? How do we connect? This is just for all of us. How do we... CCC, I don't know how you really define yourself as an identity, City Temple or CCC. Um, how do we, including me and Arby, how do we, how do we connect with those people who are not interested in hearing about Jesus? And the word that we use at Jews for Jesus is common ground. What it really means is there's a way for you to meet people. And you're going to have to think about how you do that personally how you're going to do that corporately. Before I tell you a bit more about Common Ground, I have a personal blog where I write about a very sensitive issue, where I talk about how you can believe in Jesus as a Jewish person and really, really consider the weight of the wickedness of the Holocaust. And I call my blog Sensitive Ground. Indeed, it's a very sensitive ground. For many Jewish people, the Holocaust might be the reason they will not talk to you about Jesus. If you want to, to read my blog, send me an email and I'll send it to you. And my email is ziggy, Z-I-G-G-Y, at jewsforjesus.org. 
You can remember that, can't you? Common ground, this is something for you, it's something for us. It's about, ultimately it's this, it's about meeting new people. How do we meet new people? We want to be meet, meeting new people because we want to share the good news of Jesus with them. You can meet people as we do, we meet Jewish people along the way. I live in a Jewish community, I get you know, loads of Jewish people where, where, where I live. So we just meet people even at bus stops. You can talk to people and get talking to them about Jesus. And that's something maybe you're doing already. But we also put on events. We have an Israeli team in London. They're very dedicated to reaching the expat Israeli community. I mean, I don't know what the numbers. They say there are like 50,000 Israelis living in London. And they're very committed to meeting Israelis. And so our Israeli team in London, they're very committed to, sh to sharing their faith, putting on events and getting to know the community. There's myself and Julia and Richard, and we work in London. And we all in our different ways are immersed in our communities, getting to know them and to share the gospel with them. Uh, just as a, as a word of encouragement, I'm reading the Bible with a, with a Dutch Jewish guy called Patrick. And we've been reading the Bible for a couple of years now. We're in John's gospel. And we've been talking a lot about how he wants to share his faith with his father, another Jewish man. And, uh, and this week his father uh, joined our Bible study and we had a great time talking about Isaiah 53 and John 17. The father was listening, asking questions. But the bubble, the key thing, the most exciting thing, is that Patrick's father really heard the gospel. What happens next? Well, that's, that's what God will do. But we had the privilege of being able to share that with him. I don't know what five minutes means, but um, so that question, what does it look like for us to share the gospel who are close to us? What does it look like for you to share the gospel? And it begins with you meeting new people. And so you might have to be creative. How do you meet new people? So that next time we come back to this building, there'll be more people here because you went to play table tennis. You know, it's as simple as that. A negative question, are Jewish people believing in Jesus? I mean, I said to you before, do you have Jewish friends? Negative. Jewish people believing in Jesus. The thing I think is when we think about you know, Jewish people believing in Jesus, when we speak to Jewish people, when you start talking to your Jewish friends about Jesus, what you want to be persuading them just by talking to them about Jesus is that Jesus is an option for them. They may never have believed that he's for them. He not only is the Messiah of the Jewish people, he's the Messiah of the whole world, he's an option for them and he is their only hope. He is the hope of the nations. As you build that relationship with them, you have a chance to break through the prejudice, break through their boundaries and their fears, and help them understand that the most wonderful, the most Jewish thing that they can do is know who, who Jesus is. If you're thinking about the challenges of speaking with your Jewish friends, <clears throat> what about some words like this to ter terrify us all? Torah, uh, Yavna, Talmud, Orthodox, Messiah. If you really want to think about the challenges of speaking with your Jewish friends, speak to me. We can meet up, we can do things together, and we can actually really think about what it looks like to share our faith with our Jewish friends. I'll hand you back to Avi. Thank you, Ziggy. <clears throat> I do encourage you to be in touch with uh, the local uh, branch missionaries. They're doing a wonderful job. And they need your prayers. I want to ask you to remember to pray for them. There's a brochure on your table. Uh, if you're not getting the Free Juice for Jesus newsletter, uh, I really urge you to fill it out. Give it to Ziggy. Give it to me. It costs you nothing. It gains us much. We can't do what we do unless brothers and sisters like you are praying for us. You pray, we proclaim. Jewish people hear the gospel and come to faith. It's as simple as that. We need your prayers. So uh, talk to Ziggy, talk to me afterwards, take a look at, at that brochure. I was very encouraged uh, to hear you pray for uh, what's going on in Ukraine. Some of you might know, I know that Rod and Karen know, my wife and I had the privilege of pioneering the work uh, of Jews for Jesus in the Soviet Union when it was still the Soviet Union. Now you can figure out how old I am. Um, we lived in Ukraine, we lived in Russia, we went on uh, to Germany, we lived here for a couple of years. We, uh, went on to, um, uh, to Budapest. It's hard in Ukraine right now, but I want to uh, encourage you with this. Since the war began a year ago, more than 200 Jewish men and women have given their hearts to the Lord. Now, in Jewish evangelism, that's a significant number. 
Um, it's a very, very difficult uh, season right now in Ukraine, in Russia, in Belarus. So please do keep them in prayer. Pray that the war will end. The, um, the man who leads the work in Kiev, uh, a good friend of mine, a little bit like a son to me, his name is Tolik, Anatoly. And when I was visiting him not long ago, he said to me something that really needs to be immortalized. <laughs> Such a great statement. He said, Avi, this is a bad time for Ukraine. This is a good time for the gospel. No one's rejoicing that there's a war, but I am rejoicing that the Lord is using even calamities like this to turn people's hearts to them, to him. So please keep that situation in prayer. I want to mention one other thing that I'd like you to remember to pray about. It's a project that um, my colleagues and I are calling Life from the Dead with Jesus. This is not just a Jews with Jesus project. This is um, a multi-ministry project. Uh, I've been given the privilege of coordinating it. There are cities, there are countries and cities uh, throughout Europe that are graveyards to us. I believe that we Jews have a moral obligation to go back to the places where we died proclaiming God's message of life. The last two years in a row, we had summer outreaches in Warsaw, Poland. If you know anything about Warsaw, Poland, if you know anything about what happened to us, you'll understand why it's significant. Um, to go back to a city like that, proclaiming God's message of life is a privilege and an obligation. And for us to stand shoulder to shoulder with our non-Jewish brothers and sisters, what a testimony of the reconciling power of the cross, what a testimony of the love of Yeshua. I'll give you one example. Um, last summer, Warsaw, I was out on the streets handing out my tracks and this Polish man walks by and he looks at me and he says, you're a Jew. I said, yeah. He said, and you've come back to this city, this city, to tell us Poles about your Jesus. I said, yes. He said, if there's anyone who should understand that God doesn't exist, it's you. I said, if God doesn't exist, then we shouldn't be so angry with him for what he let happen in this city, should we? We said our anger proves that we know he exists. And we had a great conversation over difficult questions. How could a holy, loving, righteous God allow the evil that took place then, the evil that takes place now? But the point is he would not have stopped and talked to anybody else, but he stopped and he talked to me. That's why we have to go back to these places because people can't ignore us when we show up proclaiming the good news. So I hope you'll remember to pray for that project as well. Life from the dead. These are difficult times. And I want to talk with you today about, I think, some of the most terrifying words in the scripture. Uh, they're found in Psalm 22. They're also found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. David wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these are the words that Jesus screamed from the cross in agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are terrifying words, perhaps the most terrifying words written in the entire scripture. What makes these words more terrifying, at least to me, than any others? I'll give you a couple of reasons. Number one, fright will pass. Pain will pass. But the terror of abandonment remains. It's an unappeased agony. It gnaws at the soul. It never leaves. It never departs. It's the agony that many people in Ukraine and Russia are feeling now because of the loss of a husband, the loss of a parent, the loss of a, of a wife, the loss of a child, the loss of a friend. It's the, it's the agony that any one of us can feel when we're standing in the middle of a calamity. It's the agony that maybe some of you are feeling this morning, here or maybe listening online. Even as believers, those moments when because of circumstances, 
our hearts are gripped with this terror, this unappeased terror that we are all alone. Even though, as believers, we know his love, even though we've felt his presence, even though we've heard his voice in our hearts, even though we've marveled at the provision of answered prayer that we've seen him bring into our lives, but those moments come. We feel like we're all alone. And either with our lips or with our hearts, we cry out, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why am I abandoned? David cried out, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 13. Centuries earlier, Job cried out, Why do you hide your face? And even the great Apostle Paul, you know, we don't think of Paul as a man who struggled with fear. He did. He struggled with fear during his ministry in Corinth and probably at other times as well. He wrote back to the Corinthians and said, you know that when I was with you, I was with you in great fear and trembling. He struggled with fear and he struggled with those moments, those, those agonizing moments of thinking that he, he was all alone. And that's why God in his grace appeared to him in a vision in Corinth, Acts, after, uh, Acts chapter 18. And he said, do not be afraid any longer. Do not be silent. Speak, I am with you. <clears throat> to make sure that Paul remembered he wasn't alone. Years ago, I was walking down the street. I saw this little girl, I don't know, four or five years old. And for a moment, she suddenly thought, for some reason, she thought that she had been abandoned by her father. And she let out this shriek, this scream. And it was, it was as piercing as a siren. It just exploded out of her. She was wrong. She wasn't alone. She wasn't abandoned. But for some reason in that moment, she thought that she'd been abandoned and she screamed. But the scream stopped and the terror ceased the moment that her father just put his arms around her. That's all it took. It just took the reassuring reality of the Father's embrace. There are probably times in all of our lives when um, we feel like that child. But if we know the Messiah, Yeshua, we're not abandoned any more than that child that I saw on the street. And the embrace of our parent awaits us the moment that we call out, the moment that we scream, we just need to let him touch us. We need to let him lift the terror from our hearts with his touch. He's there. We cannot be forsaken. If we know the Messiah, Yeshua, we cannot be forsaken, we cannot be abandoned, and we have to hold on to that biblical truth. No matter what we might experience, no matter what we might feel, we cannot be forsaken by the Father if we know him. And I'm going to give you three reasons, and I hope you'll remember these reasons, because those moments of panic will come into our lives. Here's the first reason why we cannot be abandoned by the Father. Number one, because he said so. It's as simple as that. He assured the patriarchs, he assured the prophets, he assured the apostles, and he's assured each one of us. He said, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you even to the end of the age. Moses understood this. Moses was terrified to go back to Pharaoh. Read Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. Moses gives God a whole list of reasons why he should pick somebody else. He didn't want to go back, but God assured him. He said, I will be with you. Joshua was afraid to take over 
and to lead us across the Jordan into the land. And so God says to Joshua, he says, as I was with Moses, so I am with you. Isaiah understood this. God said to Isaiah, and he says to us in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, he says, fear not, I am with you. Be not discouraged. I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. David understood this, despite what he cries out in the Psalms. He says in Psalm 23, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? Because you are with me. You know, it's a bit ironic. There were times when David didn't want God with him. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Psalm 139 is kind of comical. He writes in verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He wanted to get out of the sight of God. But at the end of the passage, he finally says, If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. Just like that little girl when she felt the Father's touch. God's word, God's promise that he will never leave us, that he will never abandon us, stands more than as a mere assurance. His word lives as an immutable, unbreakable, non-rescindable fact. That's the first reason why we cannot be abandoned, we cannot be forsaken if we know him. Because he said so. And his word is good. I'll give you a second reason. The second reason is found in his name. The Hebrew scriptures give us many names for the Messiah. One of the names is Immanuel, Emmanuel. What does it mean? Do you know? It means God is with us. Now, the Father gave the Son that name, Isaiah 7, 14. God said to the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. She will call his name Immanuel. God is with us. Um, when we choose names for our children, we might have any kind of uh, number of, of reasons. How many of you are parents? I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent. I'm about to become a grandparent for the fourth time. <laughs> um, you know, when, when we pick names, we can have a whole bunch of reasons. Those of us who are what we call Ashkenazi Jews, that means our immediate ancestors um, ended up uh, in, in Central or Eastern Europe. We have a tradition where we, we generally name a child after a deceased relative in order to keep the name alive. It's probably a tradition that goes back to biblical times, the idea of keeping the name alive. You will remember in the Gospels when um, uh, it was announced that uh, John the Baptist's name would be John, and people objected. They said, but you don't have anybody in your family named John. So it might go back even as far as that. Um, I had a friend who used to joke, he used to say to me that uh, he was going to keep alive uh, family names when he had finally had children, he was going to keep, a na uh, keep alive family names that had been in his uh, family for generations. Names like, uh, don't touch that, it doesn't belong to you. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> you want to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> um, anyway, when we pick names, we have all kinds of crazy reasons or, or good reasons for why we will name a child a particular name. But when God gives a name in the scripture, God is not just telling us what the person will be called. God is telling us who and what the person is or will be. God named Abraham. God had been, um, uh, Abraham had been named Abram by his parents. Abram, it was a, an ironic joke. Abram means exalted father, and Abram had no one. God comes along and says, I'm changing a name. 
You're not going to be Abram. You're going to be Abraham, Abraham. Why? Because it means a father of a multitude. And he was letting Abraham know, this is who you are. This is what you will become. You will become a father of many nations. So your name will be Abraham, Abraham. And when God named the Messiah prophetically, he gives us so many names. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, he gives a list of names of what the Messiah will be called, but it's not just what the Messiah will be called, it's who he is. He says, a child will be born, a son will be given, his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, El Gibor. If any of you are wrestling with the deity of Christ, that should settle it right there. El Gibor. There's no other way to understand that name. El Gibor, mighty God. Father of eternity, or as many translations uh, today say, everlasting father. Prince of peace. This is who he is. He's wonderful. He's the counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the father of eternity. He is the prince of peace. That's who he is. And in Isaiah 7, 14, as I mentioned, he's called Immanuel, Immanuel. God is with us. It's not just a statement of his title. It's not just what he's called. It's not just a statement of his geography, of where he is, it's who he is. He's the mighty God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob cannot be. He cannot forsake us, for those of us who know him, without changing his identity, it's his very being. He would no longer be, I am who I am, he would be, I am who I am no longer. And that's not only absurd, it's ridiculous, and it's just crazy. It would be a denial of his very existence. That's the second reason why he'll never abandon us. Because it's his very identity. He is the God who is with us. The God who will never forsake his own. The God who will never abandon his own. <laughs> I remember the first time I realized the reality of God with me. And I wasn't yet a believer. In fact, I was in the midst of my, uh, the height of my angry with God days. I claimed to be an atheist. I was uh, in my early 20s. I've always had a strong Jewish identity, but by the time I was in my early 20s, I claimed to be a Jewish atheist. If you have any Jewish friends, uh, you probably know that that's not a contradiction to us Jews. Um, I was angry with God because I thought that my life was pointless. I was angry for a lot of reasons. I was angry because of the Holocaust. But my main reason for being angry with God was because I thought my life was pointless. Philosophically, I'd become a nihilist. Nothing makes any sense. Nothing has any reason. It's all an absurd joke. And this made me so angry that I literally shook my fist at the ceiling one day and I screamed at him. I said, how dare you do this to me? And then I had a thought. You know, I didn't hear a voice, no bells, no flashing lights, but this was a very discernible thought. And the thought was, oh, you're angry, huh, Avi? Well, who are you angry at? I thought you said you were an atheist. <laughs> I thought back, I am an atheist. Why should I believe in a God who creates a pointless universe and who puts me in the middle of it? <laughs> thought came back to me. Well, if you're gonna hold me accountable, first admit I exist. That's when I stopped calling myself an atheist. The reality, the reality of God with me was very strong, very profound. It wasn't very comforting at that time in my life. But I knew that I wasn't alone. 
Well, if God can speak that powerfully to a non-believer, for those of us who know him, why should we ever doubt? I'm going to give you one last reason for why those of us who know him should never, never question, never doubt that he's with us, that he will never forsake us, that he will never abandon us, no matter what circumstances we might be going through. I think this is the one I like the best. It brings me back to the text that I started with, Psalm 22. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For those of us who know him, we cannot be abandoned. We cannot be forsaken by the Father because Yeshua endured the agony of abandonment by the Father for us when he died. This is the agony. This is the hell that he experienced. Jesus, the perfect man in his humanity, not his deity, in his humanity, experienced absolute, total abandonment by the Father. That's what hell is. It's a conscious, eternal existence where there is no vestige of God. So horrific, language can't even describe it. We come up with images. Isaiah called it a place where the worm will not die, speaking of that unending agony, where the fire never ends. Jesus himself described it as a place of outer darkness. Language can't even describe it. The absolute, total forsakenness and abandonment of God. Place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus died on the cross, that's what he experienced. That was the spiritual hell that he endured for us. Total abandonment by the Father. And he screamed. That was supposed to be my scream. And that was supposed to be your scream. But when he died, and when he suffered, he experienced that agony for us. And then he rose from the dead. Why? Oh, many reasons. I think my favorite reason is so that we can be forgiven. Think about it. A corpse can't forgive. If I'm a criminal and my crimes have caused you to suffer indescribably and to die, even if I'm filled with the deepest remorse and regret, I can't ask you to forgive me. Why not? Because you're dead. Corpses can't forgive. But Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. And when we come to him with repentant hearts, acknowledge that our rebellion required him to suffer and die. And when we ask him to forgive us, when we don't make any excuses, when we take responsibility for what our sin caused him to endure, and when we ask him to forgive us, then our hearts hear the most wonderful words that could ever be spoken. We hear him say, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Now follow me. He forgives our sins he gives us a whole new relationship with him. David understood this relationship. It's called the gift of eternal life. He says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Speaking of a relationship with God in the present, he goes on to say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Eternal life. 
where we cannot be forsaken. This is what Yeshua accomplished for us. This is why we can't be forsaken. Think. If Yeshua endured all of this for us, but if we who know him could still be forsaken, what would that mean? That would mean that he died for nothing. It would invalidate the fact that he endured this. But he didn't die for nothing. He died so that we'll never have to endure that agony. When Yeshua died, he paid the payment for our sins. He endured the abandonment that we deserve to bear. He put an end to the agony of eternal death by rising from the grave. Peter tells us it was impossible for him to be held in its power, in death's power, because he endured the abandonment on our behalf, and because he lives, God will never leave us or forsake us. For those of you who've already repented of your sins, you've already placed your trust in what he did for you, you've already received his forgiveness, we are never abandoned. We made a choice to turn from our sins. We made a choice to ask and receive his forgiveness. We made a choice to follow only him. And as a result, we have escaped the daily abandonment that terrorizes non-believers' lives. We've escaped the total and eternal abandonment that awaits every person who dies without knowing and belonging to him. We know his comfort. We know his presence. We know the one who will never leave us or forsake us. We know the one who has said, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. We know the one who is God now with us, now and forever. We know Emmanuel. So, when we experience those moments of terror, those moments when we feel utterly alone, utterly abandoned, utterly forsaken. And we do. When we experience those moments, what do we do? It's really very simple. You know what we should do? Just scream like that little girl. That's all you have to do. Just scream. And before you're even finished screaming, you'll feel his embrace. And he'll comfort you. Brothers and sisters, when you go through those moments of feeling abandoned, just scream. And let him put his arms around you and remind you, you're not alone. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never come to the Father by calling out to the Son, and if you're feeling abandoned and forsaken and alone, I have good news and I have not so good news. The, God, the not so good news is you are alone. You are abandoned. But it's not because he walked away from you. It's because we walk away from him. I remember 30 or more years ago, in Odessa, Ukraine, I was talking to a man who was angry with God. The Soviet Union was in the process of falling apart. 
And he said to me, if there's a God, why is all this happening? Look at this chaos. Look at this mess. Look at what we're enduring. If there's a God, where is he? I said to him, I said, you know, um, decades ago, your ancestors and mine said to him, you don't exist and we don't need you. And we're going to create a utopia on earth. We're going to solve all of the problems and create a perfect society. And we don't need you. So take a walk. And you know what God said to us? He said with tears in his eyes, okay. Okay. I said to this young man, he didn't abandon us. We abandoned him. We said, I'll plan my own life. I know what's best. I don't need you. Jesus tells a wonderful parable about a young man who demanded his inheritance from his father and left him. And went through agony as a result of it. But then instead of crying out in anger and in bitterness, the text says in the parable, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. And he came back to the father. And before he even got to the father, his father was waiting for him. And his father went running out to him and embraced him. If you've never trusted Yeshua, you've never asked him to forgive you, if you're going through that agony, he didn't walk away from you. You walked away from him. But he's waiting for you to come back. Just come back. Just come to your senses. If you've never given him your life, I'm begging you. I'm imploring you. Make the choice now. Choose life instead of this agony that you're going through. Escape the abandonment that terrorizes every one of our lives every day when we don't know him. Escape the total and eternal abandonment that awaits each one of us who dies without knowing him. That place of outer darkness, that gnashing of teeth. Know his comfort. Know his presence. Know the one who will never leave you, never forsake you. Know the one who holds out the promise, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Know the God who is with us now, who wants to be with you now and forever. Know Emmanuel. You escape this agony. Let's pray. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, we thank you for who you are. You are Emmanuel, Emmanuel. I want you to keep your eyes closed just a moment. If you do know him, but you're going through a season where you feel as though you're all alone, I want you to take a moment right now and just in the silence of your heart, scream. Just call out to him and let him embrace you. He will. And if you've never taken that step, if you've never repented of your sins and given your life to Jesus, 
I'm going to invite you to do it now. I'm going to say a very simple prayer with my lips. And if you know in your heart that there's never really been a time when you repented of your sins and gave your life to him, I'm inviting you to echo in your heart the prayer that I'm going to say with my lips. It goes like this. Jesus, I know that my life does not please you. I know that I've walked away from you. I know that I deserve your judgment. I know I've brought this on myself. But I want to come back. I want to know you, Emmanuel. I want to know that you're with me. I believe that you died as the payment for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Please take me back. Keep your eyes closed just for one more moment. If you said that prayer silently in your heart, everybody else's eyes are closed, but I want you to acknowledge it before God and with me as a witness. Just slip up your hand. If you said that prayer silently right now in your heart, just slip up your hand, would you? God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? Right, those of you who raised your hand, keep your eyes closed, everybody. Those of you who raised your hand, um, when the service is over, don't just disappear, okay? Uh, talk to Pastor Rod, talk to me, talk to Ziggy, talk to a friend, maybe, whom you know here. Um, let someone pray with you. You just made the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And I say with you, on the authority of the word of God, he is with you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.